Okay. Hello, everyone. I'm Josh Rosenfield. I'm here with Soren Howe. We're going to talk about True Detective, which aired its first season finale um, last Sunday night. Um, so I guess let's start right in talking about the finale. Soren, um, how did you feel about it? Uh, I enjoyed the finale, um, I and I really enjoyed this this whole season um, and and sort of the you know the way it, it was put together and the way it built up to um, the final episode. Um, I mean, I had I had my own reservations about the finale, uh, mostly in that I wasn't terribly surprised by anything in particular. Um, but you know, it was sweet. It had an emotional core. Um, so in that respect, I, I really enjoyed it, and of course, it was directed and written very well. Um, that's for sure. But um, I just was hoping maybe there might be, you know, sort of an eleventh hour change up or something that you know sort of you know defied expectation a little bit. I agree. Yeah, I think people were until this very final episode. Uh, nobody really knew what the show was going to be mm-hmm. because I feel it could have done anything, right? Right, and it would just be once the final episode airs. Now we know what True Detective is because this is what it was building up to. I think a lot of people were expecting something maybe a little more supernatural, right, or even a little more just kind of, if not literally supernatural, then more kind of of the surreal imagery the David Lynchian kind of atmosphere. Um, and some people kind of were totally not. Some people were uh, are saying, I'm reading that the, uh, it, it reminded them of the David Fincher film Zodiac in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. where it was totally, uncons- the mystery itself didn't matter. It was all about the characters. And I don't really agree with either side. And that's part of the reason I'm kind of, uh, I don't, I didn't, I, I'm, I'm mixed on the finale because I think the show had five really fantastic episodes. And then after that, it, it, there were, it kind of had to focus on the mystery for a long time <laughs> because when you, set, when you set up this mystery, you, you kind of have to. Right. And, and I think that kind of sank in in a lot of ways. Yeah, I think I, I read somewhere, I don't know if this is accurate, but um, either this was someone's analysis or this actually was from the writer, but they had to rewrite, apparently, the first four episodes or something like that um, to be... Uh, more intense sort of character drama um, before they got into the plot. And I don't, I don't, again, I don't know if this is accurate in terms of what the writers actually had to do, but when they said that and they mentioned this, this one um, person who was commenting uh, sort of mentioned this, this dichotomy, this sort of divide between the first half of the season, which was very character driven uh, and the second half, which was more mystery driven. Um, And when they said that, I hadn't really thought about it, but I realized that is, uh, in fact, th- that's very true. And and personally, um, I thought the first half dealt well with both. And then the second half really just sort of focused on the mystery, which, of course, as we know now, pays off in just what you might expect. It's not really anything um, sort of, re- you know, revelatory. And so I was, I, in that respect, I was... I agree. I mean, I, I think that there was a, there was a difference between the, begin, the beginning and the end of the series. Not that it got bad, but that it just... I, I was more interested in sort of the where it was really well balanced between the two. I agree, yeah. I, I, I almost get the impression that, like, just, just the kind of the feeling I got from it, like, it was not supposed to be, a, like... We weren't supposed to get so focused on the mystery at the beginning but then and that's what that was the show's intention but the show itself kind of had to focus on the mystery by the end 
Right. So it, it like it, it was a kind of betrayal of what it was setting up in, in a lot of ways because the final two, the final let's say the final three episodes of the show are really not about the, the characters that we've been following or, or developing them because once we move exclusively to 2012, uh, the 2012 timeline, it's they're they're already developed as much as they're gonna. They're just who they are. Right. So we spend a lot of time with them, and then also a lot of the final episode is them kind of catching up with what the audience already knows because at the end of episode seven we see the guy the the killer and like you said there are no more twists after that or anything there's no big surprise that's who he is and all they have to do is is find him right exactly exactly and and that was that was sort of my perspective on it is that you know there was and 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 the weird thing is you know they were there were these like leftover um plot lines that they sort of picked up or parts, you know, characters um, that they brought in uh, at the end um, from the first part of the the season when they were doing the flashbacks um, with Michelle Monaghan's um, character, Maggie, uh, where she sort of comes back briefly to have a conversation with Marty, briefly has a conversation with Rust, but then that's pretty much it. There's no, like, payoff there. Um, not that I don't need everything to wrap up, you know, you understand, but... You know, this is, I have a problem with this in narrative uh, all, all the time. I, this was one of my big problems with the Harry Potter series, movies, and books, where there were a lot of setups for all these plot lines that would be really interesting to sort of see pay off later. Um, and then when you get to the end, the main plot obviously is, is tied up, but there's all these things that were sort of set up that were sounded like they were going to be really cool in the final story and then didn't really come together. And this is the same here where I was interested to see how you know, the you know Marty's daughters might get involved. Um, there might be more interplay with Rust having lost a daughter, or, and um, you know Marty's kids or something like that. With Maggie maybe coming in and having something to do with it. Some more payoff with the 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 black detectives, um, uh, Maynard and and Thomas, um, sort of seeing how they, you know, played into things or if they had any real role, but they didn't. They seem like plot devices. So it was very weird not getting any closure on any of that. I agree. And I think that's also, that's, that's, that's folded into the idea of just kind of dropping everything to focus on the mystery, because it's exactly what you're saying. It's all this, we get all this very interesting stuff based with the characters and their relationships. And then little kind of hints of details, Mm -hmm. like the stuff with the churches and, and uh, the Reverend Tuttle and the school vouchers and whatever. But it turns out that that's the stuff that was actually really important to the end game of the show. Right. And it's you know that's not the stuff that I was really interested in in the beginning. I really didn't care about any of that stuff. I really wanted to know more about these characters and their relationship. And to be fair, we do get uh, some great moments at the end of the finale with that stuff. But um, we I guess do. we should... I guess we should say, by the way, we'll probably get into spoilers. Um, oh yes, yeah. We'll we'll probably add that at the, in the uh, post itself. But um, I think I think that's 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 true. But you know, when you you when you give you know when you reveal that the Tuttles are related to the you know it's, you, we knew the Tuttles were behind it as soon as you, the the um, the Reverend or whoever it was comes into the police station in like the second episode or first episode or whatever. Um, so, you know, it was like, obviously he's going to have something to do with it. He's like the only other named character aside from the police, you know, the, whatever, the captain of the police station or whatever. So, so you know that, that the Tuttles have something to do with it. 
Um, you're doing a, was it I, Southern Gothic? Um, is like considered the the genre. It's considered a Southern Gothic yeah. Um, yeah. genre in the genre category. So you know that it's going to be something related to religion, and it's going to have something to do with the occult. And as soon as you see a reverend, you're like, oh, the reverend probably is involved in some way. Um, I, to be honest, there's actually one character I thought was going to be a bigger um, have a bigger role. Uh, the character who who had been um, castrated or whatever in the uh, the revival congregation he's, yeah he's in the opening credits and <laughs> he's in um you know he's they sort of make him out to be this interesting character but he's barely in it and so i was you know kind of thrown off by that and then mostly they just didn't even name other characters they just weren't even like relevant enough to i guess warrant a you know a backstory it was very yeah weird. it was a strange strange sort of um setup you know yeah and you know now that i think about it um the first five, the first half of this uh, season was all about finding Reggie Ledoux, right? Right. Like, I didn't even remember him until I just... <laughs> right, 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 right. Because they, you know, because obviously he gets off and it turns out he hadn't, he wasn't the killer to begin with. But that whole thing was, and that, the, the way they tried to find him and uh, eventually doing so and how that ended is far more interesting Absolutely. than the killer just being some kind of weird hillbilly who lives out in the middle of nowhere. Right, right, right. I, I absolutely 100% agree. And there was actually, you know, the most powerful scene for me in this whole series, well, there were two. Um, and by powerful, I mean terrifying, and I wasn't able to sleep afterwards, were um, the scene when the uh, when Reggie Ledoux comes out with, like, the gas mask and, a like, a machete. Yeah. And it's right at the end of an episode. And he just walks out into the grass, and he's just looking around, and he's this giant, scary, terrifying-looking person. Um, and, you know, you sort of... He's not human because he's got this gas mask on. You don't feel like he's, like, a human. He just seems terrifying. That was really powerful. And the uh, the other really powerful scene was the the graffiti. A really, really super creepy graffiti in that old abandoned church. Mm-hmm. Um and so, but that was all from the beginning of the the season. And I again, yeah, I agree. I think that that was a more compelling. And not only that, um, what I'm not <laughs> far from defending um, uh, was the 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 bad the bad guy's name. Um, oh, um, Errol Childress. Right, Childress. Um, Child- I'm not defending Childress in any way, shape, or form. But I felt like Ledoux was a far more terrifying sort of character. You know, he's a drug yeah. dealer. He's, like, keeping kids as, I don't even know, sex slaves or something. It's never really made all that clear. And he's clearly involved in the other things, too. So, um, to me, that was far more scary than Childress, who we know about the video, right? But we don't see him in it. We don't have any real, you know. And then we see him living in squalor and having, you know, his dad tied up, and it's all weird and creepy, but... We don't really see anything, you know, he, that's not really nearly as compelling to me, um, as opposed to Reggie Ledoux, who's, who we see do terrible things. Yeah, Childress is a, is a weird character, because when, as soon as we meet him, and I think it might have been just in the finale, or even throughout, yeah. people talk about how he's so dangerous and terrifying, but when we meet him, he's just, he's kind of a weirdo, and that's really it. Yeah. He, you know, he does these weird kind of accents, it's kind of, you know, his level of intelligence is questionable i think so he, and he doesn't seem all that threatening other than just kind of the brute force he's a very big guy right like as we see in the kind of the climax 
yeah, whereas Reggie Ledoux, the mystery they build up around him and just his, the actions that we know he did, the things, like you said, the things we know he did, they make him a much more interesting antagonist and I think a much more frightening antagonist. Like they, like you said, the image of him coming out uh, just wearing underwear and the gas mask, which I got a, a strong Breaking Bad <laughs> read yeah. off of. Yeah, that's true. Um, but yeah, that is, it's a, it's a terrifying and just fa- weirdly fascinating image. It and is. It's, absolutely. No, I agree. And it's, yeah, so I feel like, why couldn't it, why couldn't it have just ended after episode five? <laughs> because you have that great, that I, one of the best moments I think the show did was where we see um, Marty and Rust explaining to their captains what happened, lying to their captains about what happened. Right. Cut with what actually happened. Right. Cut with them in 2012 explaining that they lied about, or explaining that lying again. I thought that's just absolutely fascinating, and it's a really good uh, conclusion to what, you know, not just the story, but what we know about the characters factors in, what uh, Marty does factors in because of, you know, his, his connect, his kind of, not only his rage, but his um, connection to the kids, not a literal, you know, connection, but just his empathy for them. Mm-hmm. And the finale we got, it's just, they both kind of chase him in, into Carcosa, or is it, you know, and it doesn't, it doesn't fact, there's not as much kind of intrigue to it. Mm-hmm. And it's just not as, it's not as interesting to watch. No, I absolutely agree, and I think that was uh, that you're right. That scene where he, they're sort of lying about what happened there was was really interesting. And the, the other thing is, you know, they shoot, they shoot Ledoux, they shoot Childress, and his half sister, whoever that woman is, is the only one they bring back for questioning, who we don't see and we hear is makes very little sense. Um, but <clears throat> with all the things that Ledoux. Was, I mean, this was something that really, really irritated me about this series. There are so many little things that were so interesting that could easily have become plot points and then didn't. Um, the fact that Ledoux specifically mentions time as a flat circle and says all these weird cryptic things, it would have been interesting to bring him back into interrogation where Rust is supposedly very good at getting confessions out of people and seeing them interact. Not to mention the fact, but of course they kill him so you don't get that. Uh, and not to mention the fact that later, you know, you hear Rust repeating all these things that Ledoux said. Um, and, like, time is a flat circle and all these weird things that sort of sort of semi-gelled with his weird perspective on the world and his, his whatever, his, his strangeness that Marty's yeah, always his, commenting his, on. His connection to Ledoux, I think, was much... Again, like, that made Ledoux much more interesting, and it fit better with just what the series is. Absolutely. And, and and I think that that was important, you know, and that would have been an interesting because Marty was a good, like, straight man to Rust's bizarreness. Um, but like, you know, to compare it to maybe Batman or some something like that, when you have somebody who's that crazy, um, they oper- but who, who in some level sort of has a connection with the protagonist, having a Rust-Ledoux sort of paradigm like you have in, with Batman and Joker or or one of those characters where through the criminal he sort of learns something about himself or comes to some sort of conclusion or um, there's some sort of give and take there it would have been really interesting but of course um, and of course I was assuming when, when, when Ledoux died I said okay fine it was it's too bad he died he seemed really interesting and he has these tattoos and he's saying weird things but 
fine, there's going to be an even bigger villain or something later or something else is going to happen, which we didn't get. I think it would have been interesting if they had switched it and we had gotten Childress uh, in the Ledoux role and then Ledoux came at the end and that was the final thing. Because yeah. it really does feel like their showdown with, with Ledoux in episode five, sh- it should have been the end, right? Like that should be the final thing. Be- like, because like I said, it's much more interesting. And because Ledoux is a much more threatening figure than the one we get. And by the- just another note on Childress, by the way, um, did you buy at all that he was this cult leader? Like he was supposed to be like the yellow King thing yeah. or whatever. So that was exactly what I wanted to, to get into. Um, you mentioned Carcosa and I was like, all right, we're going to, we're going to get into this because Carcosa for me, and this is, this is part of what you're, you're asking. Um, for me, Carcosa was creepy. Sure. Um, you know, you have that, the weird voiceover, well, not voiceover, but this, you know, echoing voice from Childress, which didn't really make a whole lot of sense to me, but, like, yeah. you know, how was he able to project it or whatever? So, fine, he's saying these these things, and they're creepy, and a lot of people have commented on how creepy it was, and I know some people fast-forwarded through that sequence because it was, <laughs> t- it was too creepy. Um, but for me, I was, you know, for me, that was a perfect opportunity for Marty to sort of be freaked out and scared. And it was actually kind of nice when, after they show Rust going through and not reacting to anything because he's Rust, and Marty going through and terrified, and you're like, all right, fine, somebody's actually reacting like a empathic human um, to this weird, creepy uh, sort of situation. But I expected all of this payoff for his visions, you know? I, the, he yeah. And there just it, wasn't. You no, know? That, was a, that was something that really did annoy me about this. Because they, we get the thing about his weird hallucinations in episode two, and do we? I don't think we ever see them again until the very end. And the only thing that they're used for is to distract him so that Childress can knock him out. Right. Well, I, I mean, they do show up. You know, he, there's the part where he's driving. Um, there's the the weird, right, right. there's the crows in episode two when they form the spiral. Um, again, directly relating to the the case. Um, which again doesn't pay off, but but to me I, I didn't mind, and I, I actually thought that final vision was cool, but the, it wasn't used for anything. There was no purpose to it. It was just this weird vortex, and then that was why he got clubbed in the back of the head. And so I was wondering what the premise of that was, or why. I, I don't know. I just expected there to be more payoff, and and even the 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 writer um, was it Nick Nick Pizzolatto? Yeah, said. Um, he he didn't really know how the series was going to end, and he cons- he considered the supernatural route, and he thought you know that'd be too easy. And I understand the that feeling, um, but I think that would have been would have been challenging was um, would be something like Take Shelter, which have you seen Take Shelter? Uh yes, yes. Right, that movie I think does this a, a very similar sort of thing, uh, where there's these visions that you're never sure are real, even after the end of the movie. So. Mm-hmm. And yet there's the possibility of supernatural weirdness that is never fully confirmed. And I think that that would have worked well here where, you know, Rust sees something. Maybe Marty's not entirely sure if he saw something. Who knows? Um, and it's never really clarified. But it would have been more of a payoff than what we got, which is, again, a, a, a plot device for the getting clubbed in the back of the head. I agree, yeah. And I almost wonder if that's what they were trying to do with that final vision. But there's no other indication that it's anything but that, especially since, you know, just the kind of the film grammar of what happens is that he just saw something 
was distracted and then got knocked and got hit in the head. So it's, yeah, it's, I feel they really should have kind of teased the supernatural at the end a little bit more. And I'm not saying they had to, you know, literally go full supernatural, but I think just adding just a tiny bit more suggestion of it would make the ending a lot more palatable and would make Childress a lot more palatable as a, as a villain. Um, and it's it's interesting. I read an interview with Nick Pizzolatto, and he was asked, "What did you learn from doing season one that you'll apply to season two? And what he said was, "I want to. I'll keep it more weird." And he's referring to like the kind of the weird fiction uh, genre that influenced a lot of the occult stuff in the show. And I I get the impression that he didn't think too much of that when he was making writing the series, like that aspect. Mm-hmm. But then he saw how people responded to it <laughs> so strongly. So he's like, oh, now this is what people expect out of True Detective. Right. I got to keep doing that. And also, you know, it's it's one thing to write, you know, then he has a vision in a script and then to see this really impressive CG effect, which I, I thought the CG was quite good. It just was brief. Oh, yeah. Um, and then to go, oh, I could have done more with this, you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I absolutely agree. And I, I thought something else that could have been cool is <clears throat> for, again, uh, sort of a, a relationship between Brust and the, and the antagonist to have maybe children say something like, you know, maybe Childress also sees the vision. You know what I mean? They both look at it for a second. Or, you know, he sees it and then Childress says, oh, you you see things too or something weird like that. Or, you know, I don't know, some sort of relationship. And the reason it would have really worked is they make this big, long deal about how Rust, which they only use for one plot device to go and get um, the, the biker gang. Um, but oh, they yeah. make this big deal about Rust having this undercover background where he did drugs and LSD and all this crazy stuff for all these years. Um, and meanwhile, the MO of these killers is LSD and what was it? Meth? Yeah. yeah. LSD and meth. So if they both had these visions, you would totally understand that because clearly Childress is crazy and sees things or whatever, you know, voices talk to him, who knows? Uh, and we know that, that Rust has these visions. So that connection is clearly there, but it's never explored. Yeah, that would have made things a lot more interesting because it's one of those things where without going explicitly supernatural, it just, you can, there's no reason it can't be interpreted either way, you know? Right, So, right. There, so we get that kind of hint of maybe there's something else going on, but we're not going to explore it, but there's also a rational way to explain it. So I, and yeah, I think that would have tied in that stuff a lot more because the weird, the kind of weird stuff was so much more prominent in the early episodes right. than it was in the later episodes. Right, absolutely. And, you know, when they sort of, like, with those graffiti drawings and stuff, um, and that's the other thing, the graffiti drawings sort of implied that he's seeing something that he's then drawing. I mean, they don't look like real people. They look like, you know, not that he's an artist, you know, some brilliant artist, but whatever he's seeing, he sees something totally different, and so he's drawing these weird, creepy pictures. And I just thought that could have related. But back to your question about the Yellow King, um, I I agree. Something I actually... Uh, was thinking during the actual uh, finale was um, I would have liked some more callback to the Yellow King epithet, some explanation of the name, why Yellow King, aside from the fact that it sounds creepy, and and where's his congregation, or would they come into it in some way? You know, would it turn out the Reverend from the Revival Tent was part of this new congregation, or who who knows? Any any sort of thing. I didn't. It didn't. I don't have any particular thing in mind, but some affirmation that he really did run this congregation, aside from. A large empty cave area, which conceivably could hold people, which isn't really convincing to me. Yeah, the whole thing with the Yellow King. I wonder. I almost wonder if if Pizzolatto knew he thought that people would find the book he was referencing. 
um, because it is the you know this old book, The King in Yellow, which is a, you know it's about um, this uh, this play that if you read it, it makes you go insane. Oh, um, you, you can find it. it's in the public domain. You can find it. It's free. I read uh, I read some of it. It's pretty good. Oh, weird. Yeah. So and I that's so we you know the stuff about the Yellow King and Carcosa. Those are references to the mythology of that, which is this very pre Lovecraft kind of Lovecraftian uh, <laughs> mythology. So, yeah, I, so he kind of felt maybe like, well, I'm just kind of pulling this reference. I don't really have to you know, go into what it means in my world, you know, not even consciously. Maybe he thought that, but you kind of do. <laughs> because yeah, if you absolutely. just look at this world, you know, removed from whatever this reference is, there's no real explanation of what this cult was. And maybe, you know, maybe you could just pass it, shrug it off as kind of like, well, they're a cult. They're all kind of weird. They do weird stuff. But when you give us so many details about the weird stuff they do, mm-hmm. you 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 got to give us like something not not a full explanation, but some kind of thing that can help us get some kind of resolution. Absolutely, and that that was that was my feeling. Um, and and to to make I didn't even know as a reference to a real text, but if you're going to make a reference, do it with purpose. You know that's my feeling. So what's what is it aside from being creepy? Um, what's you know elaborate a bit, give us some background to build off of um so yeah I, I absolutely felt that that was um sort of a missed opportunity on their part um to sort of build a, a more compelling uh end game to me anyway yeah um another thing that i thought was sort of left uh, on the on the way by the wayside was uh marty's daughter did you yeah did you yeah know what i'm talking know. about with the 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 implied sexual sort of thing going on and they just never really get into it yeah i was um i didn't read too much of the too many of the theories about that but i agree it's well just the thing with his relationship with his daughters is kind of yet another thing that they go up to episode five with it and then there's nothing else really like well until we get to you know we get some stuff in 2002 with them but yeah it's like you spend so much time developing all this stuff that you make us think is the primary object of our attention, but then you drop it because the thing that, you know, you maybe not intentionally were trying to get us to think was not important is actually important, is the important thing because it's a detective show and they have to solve a mystery. Right, right. And what's funny is that they seem to really not, care. you know, the mystery seemed to almost, it, it was the focus of the final episode, but then takes a back seat because Marty and Russ get through it. It's not the end game for them. And the only thing that they really gain out of it is, you know, Russ comes to some revelation that he should, you know, life's worth living or whatever. Um, so, so I totally agree. But even more than that, it wasn't just that, you know, they do that whole thing with the beating up the, the, where he beats up the guys who had sex with his daughter, um, who, sexually assaulted his daughter uh and and that was a that was a cool scene i guess but there was no payoff and there's no reason for it um and what i had assumed was you know you see the scene where the daughter has recreated some sort of weird sexual thing with action figures yeah and there's no it, it mirrors the uh the setup of the uh the stick figures that they find too so there was some kind of weird suggestion there that right. really got paid off right and and you're like oh maybe it's on the news they showed you know images of what they thought it might look like or recreations from a court case or something yeah. but it's there's none of that 
There's no, you know, and I, I wasn't expecting any sort of weird, um, you know, where like his daughter gets kidnapped by the bad guy or anything, but just a simple, um, you know, just a, some sort of uh, having it build to something uh, or, or maybe she gets involved in weird things or something like that because she hears about these things through school or through like the community or whatever. And it's just none of it really comes together um, into anything in particular. Well, yeah, it's it's the red it's herring. A, exactly, yeah. It's, they really there was an opportunity there to kind of flesh out who uh, Marty and Rust were, mm-hmm. and there were a lot of those opportunities in their relation to in their relation to other people and the kind of the surrounding atmosphere of of this area. But again, it's like like finish that. You know, there's no real. And maybe, you know, I kind of, maybe this is a side effect of just the, the flashback, flash forward structure. But yeah, it, it kind of feels like as an audience, everything, well, actually, you know what, that's not true. Because they do have that kind of reconciliation at the end. And uh, like you said, uh, Rust has that revelation about that the universe is actually good. Which I guess people, I've seen people argue that moment is, is character development. That's That's fine. That's what they were building to. But I kind of would have rather seen him face off against Childress with that nihilistic mindset and die. Like that's what I was. That's what I was really expecting to happen. I was expecting him to die because that's the only thing you can do with that character, really. But to have him survive and to have both of them survive, kind of improbably, right? And then have end on this really optimistic note is a weird twist on everything they've done beforehand and it's just like that's not why i was watching the show i was watch, i was enjoying the show because of all this all these interesting tonal and thematic things that you were doing and then at the end you subvert all that and that's fine i guess but it would have been better if you would just followed through and committed to that you know i to me i understand i'm i'm not a huge fan of like this modern there's a modern trend of a very bleak super bleak um, stories yeah. and characters, you know, Breaking Bad was really just depressing to watch. Um, <laughs> I've seen a few episodes of Walking Dead here and there. That's really depressing. Uh, House of Cards, you know, it's just everything is always depressing. It's, you know, people die. It's, you know, there's no one, no one seems worth, you know, two, two cents. They're just totally, um, unlikable. And, uh, so I, I, I understand, and when you're doing a show like this, it's the same with Criminal Minds or any of those shows that get really into the um, mindsets of the the criminals, and it's so gross the things they do because it's heinous, heinous stuff. And it's the same here. Um, there's sort of a, a a levity that they sort of add in to try and make it feel a little bit more hopeful. Things are resolved oftentimes in things like Criminal Minds or in Law and Order SVU or any of those shows uh, to balance out the the depressing aspect of it. And um, I don't mind a show that, that really wants to just really... But even Game of Thrones, you know, has has Kyrian. You know, there are people who come in and so and, and Bronn um, who sort of make things a bit more light. And I think that there was an important need to bring in a bit of optimism into this to this story. So I don't I don't mind that as much, um, especially if we're going into next season, which is, let's say, very depressing as well. Um, to have this in the back of our minds that good can triumph in this universe that they're, they've built um, sort of is a little bit optimistic so that we don't totally lose hope that anyone's going to survive or, or make it through. 
Yeah, well, yeah, I absolutely see where you're coming from, and I agree about this, that trend of just, like, yeah, the dark and gritty heroes, the tortured anti-heroes, mm-hmm. that is kind of getting really tired, <laughs> and I'm, <laughs> I'm definitely getting tired of it. So, yeah, I see where you're coming from with that perspective on the ending. On the other hand, like, True Detective was doing that really well. <laughs> That's true. That is <laughs> true. You know, so I kind of would have liked to see a show do that really well, because there aren't there aren't that many right now that do it. Like Breaking Bad did it really well. Obviously the Sopranos kind of started it, did it really well. Mm-hmm. But all of these imitators kind of really don't. And True Detective was, but then True Detective said, no, we're going to actually do the other thing instead. It, it felt like almost like a cop-out because even though I like, I kind of would have rather seen than just more optimism throughout. And maybe that's not realistic because given the circumstances of the case and what it is. But if, you know, I feel like if that's going to be the ending, then maybe Rust should have been, maybe even Marty should have been, instead of just kind of rejecting everything Rust says, because it sounds crazy, he should have been the optimist, you know, he should have countered everything Rust said with that optimism. And then at the end, he wins, he basically and then there's, because Russ talks about there's this battle between light and dark, and when you're having a show about the dynamic between two people, and one of them is dark, it's kind of weird that the other one isn't light, the other one is just kind of neutral. Right, and, well, I mean, I think there was a little bit of, of I mean, and they clearly, clearly tried to build up that contrast, even the last episode, uh, between them, and sort of their outlooks on life, uh, but to me, I, I think the the way to maybe compromise between, between uh, the two of us on, on this, um, is I think probably the best idea would be to to create an optimistic but not too optimistic ending where one of them dies. So maybe Russ dies and um, Marty has that conversation about the stars or something with someone else or vice versa. Marty dies and, and Russ has this conversation with somebody, uh, maybe with Maggie and bring her back in because she just disappears. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, and so what that would do is it would really, because I, I like the idea of not like, you know, the sun doesn't come up in that scene it's very important that it's stars where there's little dots of light in a black sky. Um, and to me, that's, that's, that's what's really important, uh, there. And so that's almost more muted optimism, whereas them both surviving is full blown optimism. And so I would have gone with maybe one of them dies. That's muted. Then you see the stars that's also muted. And it's sort of a, not as such a steep spike in the final moments, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. It, I think, I think kind of what you're saying is that there should have been a balance, really. Yeah. Is that because it is kind of unbalanced. And, I, you know, just removed from that, it is kind of weird to have both of them survive. One of them really should have died. <laughs> yeah. Because, Especially with the wounds they got. Yeah. Yeah. With sure. the wounds and like, there's no consequences. This is the last episode you're ever going to do with these characters. Right. You can just kill, you can kill off every character and it doesn't, you don't have to worry about next season because you said you're doing a new thing next season. Right. And none of the characters are not, not only is it a new cast, but like there's no cameos. They said they're not coming back. So, you know, yeah, go for it. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, pull out all the stops, go crazy, you, you know, do whatever you want. And it's, was kind of weirdly reserved, even though, which maybe it's because we went into this episode knowing this was the last hour we were going to spend with the, these characters in this story. And it wasn't as, like you said at the very beginning, it wasn't as surprising or kind of, or shocking or thrilling as maybe it should have been. Absolutely. You know? And, and I, you know, it's funny. I was watching this, um, I tweeted this as well. Um, 
I caught up with the series very recently, uh, and I, all the way through episode six or, no, 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 seven, up through episode seven, I hadn't seen any of the uh, episodes, so I, I didn't have to wait on a cliffhanger for a lot of those uh, really intense early episodes, but um, I was genuinely surprised to learn that there were only eight in this series. Uh, I didn't think the finale was really next. Uh, so I was actually surprised, having seen seven episodes, that the last episode would be the next episode. I figured there was no way, and this this is, leads back to the one last point I had about the series, that they were really going to do this weird, and the, other people have said this too, but it, this was my first thought as well, this weird Scooby-Doo reveal where the guy we saw earlier mowing the lawn happens to be the bad guy. Um, that was a weird weird choice and and so yeah I, I wasn't expect the story didn't feel like it had just gotten to its climax and i certainly was hoping that we would get something else other than um you know childress you know driving a, a mower uh that he would suddenly be the bad guy i, I don't know it just to me it didn't, didn't yeah it, yeah it's interesting that you that you talk about the scooby-doo reveal because something i've been thinking about for a few weeks, and you know, even since I really started watching the show, but I was kind of—I never really believed it until now. I wonder if the direct, the direction on this show, like literally Carrie Fukunaga's direction, is so good that it kind of fools people into not realizing that the story isn't that interesting. <laughs> because yeah, like if you, there was some stuff definitely in in the earlier episodes, like the whole stuff with the biker gang. I really didn't. I did not like that. Even though the 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 very long wonder that they awesome. did at the end yeah. of episode four, that was awesome. Uh, that was really awesome, and yeah, that's the reason I started watching the show was because I heard about that. But yeah, it's like that was kind of weirdly cliche. Like he has to get in with his old undercover gang or whatever. His the whole thing about how the reason they had their falling out was because Marty's wife Marty's wife slept with Rust. Like really, that's that's the that's all it. That's all you're gonna do. To, to break up this what we thought was kind of a complex relationship was the most like obvious thing you could possibly do right so yeah it in the direction is so good the show is just gorgeous but maybe like maybe the story really you know may i'll kind of have to go back and i guess rewatch it and really focus on what was going on from the beginning but i think really it was fukunaga's direction uh of every episode that kind of made me and i know a lot of other people think there's there's got there's something more going on here there's got to right. be something more going on there's something we're not seeing and a lot of big fans of the series have kind of faulted detractors for doing that they're like oh you know you were just looking looking too far into things that was never what the show was about a lot of people are saying that that was never what the show was about but i don't buy that because the show pointed us to these moments over and over and over, drilled these this these weird symbols and you know, uh, occult whatever into our heads and all these little clues. So, yeah, like, you, you, why didn't you pay that off? And it's you a did, it's a yeah. detective show, so of course we're p trying to find clues. You know, yeah. when when you're coming up with crazy theories, in, you know about uh, Game of Thrones or where, where there was some there's some mystery, but it's not a detective show per se. And, and a lot of these shows. Um, where, uh, you know, people come up with really, really bizarre out-there theories to explain this, that, or the other thing, or plot holes. But in a detective show, you open yourself up to that sort of scrutiny. Uh, so it's funny that you say that, because I think that this show, more than any other, um, uh, right, you know, other show, not a detective show, uh, demands scrutiny on, on that level, where you're, you're like, oh, I wonder, you know, I better write that down. Um, that sounds yeah. like something that's going to come up again later. 
Um, but I, I agree. And I, I think, um, you know, when I was watching the first episode, the first thing that popped into my mind uh, uh, was um, I was just watching it. For some reason, the first thing that occurred to me was uh, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, um, which I it's one of my absolute uh, top films that I've seen maybe ever. Uh, it's, a, it's a great, great movie. But but for me, um, and so it's a big thing for me to even associate a show with that. Um, where I didn't know what they were talking about, you know, it takes a while to get acclimated to what they're saying, um, and not just their accents, I mean, actually what they're saying, trying to figure out what this, this case is about, who these characters are, uh, and it's the same in Tinker Tailor, where for a good 20, 30 minutes, you have no idea what's going on until, you know, the lingo starts clicking. But I would say the difference is, and I, I don't know if this is what you're saying or not, but I would say in, in, in Thomas Alfredson's, uh, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, he's uh, my favorite director, um, his direction matches the script, which is phenomenal. Um, whereas here, I think uh, maybe you're saying that uh, Fukunaga's uh, direction maybe outclasses um, Pizzolatto's writing? I think so. And maybe, maybe if not outclass, then just it's the wrong match. It, it's not a good match. I think they needed a, the show needed a director who was a lot more pulpy. Because, mm. like, True Detective, it's you would th- you would think is inspired by like true crime you know pulp fiction right pulp novels so but you know so when you get this show that's so like visually stunning in places you expect the you kind of look for things in the writing that match that level of, of visual uh, prowess i guess but it's just not what the show is ultimately and i think when if people are disappointed it might really be because of that because the director of the series was trying to do something with it that the writer really wasn't. They maybe kind of weren't on the same page. Yeah, I was going to say, so it, it could even not be, you're right, it might not be necessarily quality level, more um, even just over direction, where you know, you're doing these, for example, I would say that all of the shots that are in, going back to Tinker Tailor, you know, there are these close-up shots on people's faces that hang there for a really long time, and there's a reason for it. You know, they're really building up, um, you know, the main character is sort of enigmatic. You're trying to understand who he is. But there, the payoff is that the whole movie is about him and who he is and the mystery and things like that. And there absolutely are clues scattered throughout that then pay off in a final sort of reveal at the end uh, and conclusion. And um, here, I think the director was doing that, but, you know, close up some people's faces, long shots, you know, the shots in this are very, very long. The takes are very long. Um, that didn't have meaning behind them. Um, it's sort of, it represents either over direction on his part. Um, clearly he can do more with his direction than what was given to him with the material. Um, but maybe it's, but it's also could be that it's just different. Uh, and so maybe it was over direction. It was sort of a mismatch, um, as you said, or uh, sort of a lack of uh, synergy uh, between the writer and the director. Yeah, it makes me kind of wonder why Pizzolatto wanted this guy, because I haven't seen either of his two films. One of them is a film called Sin Nombre. I've seen that, uh, yeah. Have you seen that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, the other one is Jane Eyre. Um, oh, I have not seen that. Which is, inter- is an interesting match uh, to material, although I think that was a lot more stylized and in a similar style to this. But did... Uh, did Sin Nombre, were there any kind of hints of, is it, is it a similar style? Well, so that's so that's a good question. Sin Nombre is a great movie, by the way, definitely worth checking out. Uh, really compelling story about uh, uh, people from 
uh, Central America trying to get into the United States uh, and the incredibly horrible path getting there the journey it's miserable um but so uh it's very it can get very tense i can see partially why he wanted this and maybe he um uh maybe pizzoletto wanted him because uh maybe this goes back to the character driven first half of the season maybe he had finished the rewrites or he had finished sort of making the first half so character driven and he was in that mindset uh and then he also knew that there would be intense uh sort of action oriented scenes at the end which there are at the end of sin nombre uh, and said, I know somebody who could do character-driven and thrilling and things like that, uh, so that's why I want uh, Fukunaga. And I think that that is very true, except when the show turns from character-driven to mystery-driven, then Fukunaga's strength isn't really being built on. And so I would say that maybe that's the, the disconnect, is that he, for two out of three of the things he needed, thrilling, mystery, and character... Um, this director was able to fulfill two of those uh, and kept doing character when it had switched to mystery, and maybe that was part of it. Um, and that might be because the, the script is uneven and switches tones or direction or whatever between uh, the first half and the second half, or it might be because you just needed a director with a better fit. I don't know. Yeah, I think I do think it might be that, that the latter, uh, which, which is, you know, it's too bad because I wonder if we would be talking about all these kind of quibbles with the story if there was a director who was better matched to the writing, mm. because maybe if there was that better match and we kind of knew what the series was going to be from the outset, just from the way it, it, it looked and the way it was directed, then we wouldn't be as bothered by all this kind of, you know, dropping of, of plots and of uh, uh, fo- objects of focus uh, later on in the season. So, you know, yeah, it's, I hadn't thought about that prior to now, but I really think that maybe it was... And it's not, it's not Fuganaga's fault, obviously, because, like we said, he did a fantastic job. Oh, for sure. But maybe it was just that level of greatness. What, the, the thing he's doing really well is not the thing that the show needed. Right, exactly. And, and that's just it. You know, you can match an amazing director. You know, look at the Hulk, uh, Ang Lee's Hulk movie. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a great director. He perhaps is not the best fit for a comic book film. Uh, we've seen it. We've seen it time and time again. In you know, with all these different matches, we're like, "Wow, that sounds like a really compelling combination." And then it comes out, and you go, "Yeah, maybe not. Uh, maybe that wasn't the best, the best choice." Um, one last, one last, very last thing before we get into just a, a quick preview of season two. Um, I did want to just mention uh, so another, just another leftover Marty storyline. Uh, you know, they had this this early. In encounter with the prostitutes in the um, weird trailer area um, yeah. and he meets Beth who is this underage prostitute uh, who he then later meets again as an older man and she's older I guess of age at that point and, and they meet and then have sex and have this, this relationship um, but there's no real point to it and the best I can come up with is he seems very overprotective and hypocritical when it comes to his daughters. I mean, he's, he's bullying his, his daughter for having sex with two men. Not What they did was illegal, obviously, and all of that's very bad, but he's almost more upset that she had sex with them, mm-hmm. which is ironic given that he's you know philandering all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that hip- hypocrisy, but also the fact that he's so protective of his daughters and he cares so much about their feelings and their thoughts 
but he doesn't care about women once they become adults. So maybe that's the dichotomy we're supposed to see, where he really cares about Beth when she's underage, but as soon as she's an adult, he doesn't care, and so he has a relationship with her. And so I, I don't know if that was... But it, it, to me, it still didn't seem like it had a payoff. I thought there would be some criticism from Rust or something would come out about that where, you know, he's like, oh, that's the girl from before. How could you do that? Uh, or something. But there just, there wasn't really anything. Yeah, I agree. I think maybe, you know, the, the series got a lot of flack from um, people who said that there was some, it was sexist in the way it, both in the way it treated its female characters and in the fact that there really weren't any interesting female characters. And the way early on that I kind of, that I personally justified it and defended the show was that I thought the show was doing a thing where it was a critique of like of, of traditional masculinity mm. or of the patriarchy and stuff like that. And I think Marty's character really was the the uh, basis of that in the way that for sure, absolutely, yeah, yeah, in the way that yeah, it, it's it's it is interesting the way that he goes from he can only see women either as you know daughters basically to be protected right or as uh, things to sleep with right but again it's like they don't follow through on that in any way it's like you know he he maggie divorces him and that's it that's there's no more follow-through that aspect of his character does not play into the finale at all whereas it did play in to the ending of episode five right that's true yeah absolutely and he saves those two kids uh, you know and so there's that but you're right, he, his character... may And another way you might perhaps look at it, maybe this improves the, se- the season, I don't know, uh, maybe the first half of this series was about his evolution and the second half was about um, Rust's evolution, and that's why he gets his payoff in the in the finale with Childress and, and Marty got his payoff in the finale with, um, with Ledoux. And maybe that's why... Um, Rust is so bent on getting back into this case and Marty's sort of done because he feels like his development came to an end. The divorce happened, so he's sort of done. But I would have liked to see maybe him learn something or he doesn't have to learn something, you know, but I don't know. I just expected a little bit more out of that particular plot line. And by the way, I do think Maggie was a really interesting character. Unlike a lot of the, you know, wives tend to get short shrift on a lot of these shows. Um, I didn't have any ill will towards Skylar and Breaking Bad, for example, but I wasn't a huge fan. I just didn't have an opinion really on her. I didn't have an opinion on her sister in that show. Um, so oftentimes I feel like they, they don't get their credit, you know, get what what's due, but I felt Maggie reacted like a human person. Um, she was interesting and I, and I felt, I felt really bad for her for a lot of this, this series. And then she just sort of dropped. So that, that was unfortunate. Yeah, it is. It is too bad. It's another example of the show. I think tried to juggle a lot of things. Uh, and Maggie was one thing that just never really made it into the forefront. And except for the one, the one thing she really does is she goes and sleeps with Rust. And even that, that whole scene is just staged so bizarrely because it's like they talk and then they have sex, you know, and then it's, then Rust gets really angry and she gets really upset and she leaves and so, you know, it's another example of, like, the only reason that happened is because they needed a reason for Rust and Marty to be mad at each other, you know, and to split up so that they are separate in, in the present. But it wasn't really justified, and based on what we know about Maggie already, it's just, this doesn't seem, it doesn't seem like 
something that A, she would do, or if she was, maybe, then it doesn't seem like something that she would do in that way or that would go that way. And especially doesn't seem like something Rust would do. Well, so I think that the one thing I would, I, I agree that eventually, that ultimately it was used for a plot device, but I think that the thing that was important there was that um, uh, Maggie was sober and Rust was drunk. And he, even later, they yeah. they addressed that briefly. And perhaps it felt bizarre because we don't often see that. But in some ways that actually constitutes, you know, I mean, that is assault. In, in you know, it wasn't addressed like that in the show as as such, but what she did is she went to a drunk person's house and had sex with them, um, which he realized uh sort of after the fact. I don't I don't know how, how he's but he gets really angry of course and then and then she gets really upset and, and leaves. But she did something not just ethically, you know, you know, questionable by sleeping with her husband's partner in revenge or whatever, but also um possibly illegal. I mean what she did was really quite not allowed um so uh and and it's something that we never see on tv ever uh and it's something that i was actually intrigued by and thought might be investigated a little bit um because rust is so asexual it seems like uh and for someone to take advantage of him which is something we didn't expect could have been interesting plot wise uh but it just didn't it was used instead for this big showdown between marty and rust so yeah, especially since she knows, like, she's aware that he has a problem with, I think she is, she's, she's aware that he's had a problem with alcoholism in the past, and if she knows that he's drunk, then she's aware of, that she's taking advantage of him. And I think maybe, like, that maybe that's, actually, you know what, thinking back, I think that's why he got angry, is that he, he'd realized that she was just trying to get revenge uh, on Marty by doing this, and that, that made him upset. But but even so, like it, yeah, it is just a weird thing for her to do, especially since you know you know the reason obviously the reason she's mad at Marty is because he was sleeping around, so her revenge is to do the same thing, and I guess that kind of makes sense. <laughs> um, right. If you don't think about it, but I feel like aren't there like you know use your imagination. There there could be a million other things that she could do. And there could be a million other ways to that that Marty and Rust could uh, split up. It just seemed very obvious, and just kind of for the sake of having, because they realized, well, we have to get them split up at some point because we know that they're split up in the present. So how do we do that? <laughs> you know, there wasn't well, a lot of effort put into it. I feel like I would have been fine with like a personality clash that really ended things on a really bad note, or you know, something like something just less ridiculous. And the other thing is. Um, it's sort of a weird conflict, I feel like, that was happening in uh, uh, Pizzolatto's head, where you have this very sitcom-esque uh, idea where, in a sitcom, a uh, character might cheat on their significant other, and then in his revenge, the other person cheats on them, um, where there's n almost no character development. So it doesn't seem out of the blue. You're like, oh, of course, that's you know an eye for an eye. That makes sense. Uh, but when you have a, a, a drama, a really intense drama that's been building these characters for so long, it doesn't make sense because you've been building this character to have a certain set of intentions, ideas, um, who's not reckless as far as we know, is just sort of trying to get by and is sort of a victim of uh, her husband's uh, terribleness, even though she's just trying to be a, you know, a good parent and, and, and wife and, and all that. Um, and so I, I think that that was sort of the conflict between I know what would happen in a sitcom. Would that work here? And the answer is no. No, it doesn't. It doesn't work here. Yeah, <laughs> it is just kind of an unfortunate detail of the story as it is. 
Um, and maybe he was, maybe he was kind of hoping that it would just, that it would just be seen as like, this is a turning point. We're moving on. This isn't that important. But then when you have all the, you know, this criticism of the way that the show treats its female characters. Then you start to see it. Yeah. Yeah. You start to, you kind of, it's, you, you're forced to, to look at it that way. And when you look at it that way, it doesn't look really good. It doesn't, and and you know, again, I I don't buy the I I never buy the criticism that a, a you know a, a filmmaker puts all of their effort and their thought into everything in a scene from what's on the shelf to what's you know you know on the desk you know in front of them what they're wearing the colors the palette everything is is hand chosen and in a detective show like I said you really are beholden to your audience for for getting these clues and things across and people are going to pick up on everything so you're really going to be scrutinized so if you're going to put in characters who are um or make characters do things that they wouldn't normally do people are going to notice i mean you you could hope that people won't and i admit at the time i was like all right i buy this um but you're it's going to demand scrutiny even if it wasn't a detective show uh just because critics that's what they you know that's what we do uh but i think even more so here um because again, it's a detective show, so people are really gonna zero in on that. Um, but it's funny you, you mentioned women uh, characters. Do you want to just quickly um, talk about uh, what how the next season might go? Yeah. Let's... All right. Um, so I uh, one of the things I'd read is that they might be using uh, two female leads. This is obviously a rumor at the moment, but if they do end up using two female leads, I think that's a. It'll be interesting to see how that's handled um, by a. A male director and in and uh, sorry, a male writer, and I think it'll be interesting if they hire a female director, maybe to balance that out. Um, I always find that that men have a harder time directing or writing uh, women um, than than women do for obvious reasons. Um, so I think that it will be interesting if they do go that route. But uh, it'll be interesting to just see how uh, a new show unfolds with two very different characters than we saw last season. He kind of has to do two female detectives now, like right, like. With all this, with all the talk about that, it's he doesn't. Can he really do anything else and still get people to watch the show? Like I would be kind of, I would be very disappointed if it wasn't two two female leads because that's really what you should do next. Right. No, I think that I think that that it's um, it would be a good idea to change up the the situation. You know, having two old white guys uh, handle it, um, handle the first season makes sense. Um, but I think that, that putting a, um, just for familiarity's sake, it tends to be the, you know, that's what we see on TV a lot. Um, but I think now that he's got people hooked, a good choice would be to, to do that. But, but I would caution that, um, not to do it if he can't do it well, because honestly, I'd rather see another season with two boring, quote unquote boring, um, uh, white male characters. If that's all you can write, you know, I don't want to, you know, a show that you, if you can't manage it you know, manage a female character in an effective and meaningful way, um, uh, and it turns into a detrimental sort of thing, then I, I would rather them just stick to, to what they know. Um, so there's that there's that worry, but I feel like it's a... They've got the potential to, to really do something new and very different and then have a completely different dynamic. I agree. That's something that the anthology format really affords you. Like, I, I know um, uh, American Horror Story... Right has done really wildly, vastly different things from season to season within the same kind of, uh, w- uh, maintaining the same tone uh, throughout, and that's really... With the, the same line. cast. 
but different yeah characters. with much of the same cast right. yeah. um so that's definitely a possibility and i think that that's something that um could be really interesting another thing that could be interesting to have a male and female uh lead with a platonic relationship one of the things that uh people have really um honed in on for for elementary that the sherlock holmes american show uh, is people are really for people who really like the show, and one of the biggest uh, compliments the show has gotten is that um, because they changed Watson's character to uh, a female played by Lucy Liu, uh, hit her interaction with Sherlock, which is completely platonic, platonic, although he she loves him in a I guess in a you know in the Watson Sherlock sort of way. Uh, it's they've gotten a lot of really good press for that because they're so that that back and forth is so. Um, different you know usually if there's a female character on a show they're going to inevitably end up together uh they're going to be a romantic interest they're going to have some stereotypical relationship um with the with the protagonist but if the both protagonists are male and female and there's no relationship between them uh it just i think it opens up even more possibility for a, a really interesting dynamic it's the same on um uh, law and order svu where you have a male and female lead, and, and it's a platonic relationship, but I think that opens them up to more interesting plot lines than a lot of the other uh, uh, procedural shows. I agree. That's not a that's not a relationship, and that's not a dynamic that we see often enough. I think. I think there's a pressure, especially on TV shows. If you have a male and a female character, you have to get them together. It has so, to happen. Right. That's one of the things that I really liked about uh, the movie Her. Actually, was that you have Joaquin Phoenix and Amy Adams. And they're really good friends, and there's no suggestion whatsoever that of any romantic relationship. I think there might be a throwaway line that they were together briefly. It was, yes. Yeah, um, but their relationship, as we see it, is to- is completely platonic, but no less, you know, uh, intimate or or emotional. Right, and it was actually something I was worried about in that movie that they would, without getting into spoilers. Um, but I, one thing I was I was worried is that it would turn into. You know, he would go, oh, maybe I shouldn't, you know, I should learn to love a human. So I'm going to end up, you know, and so they'd end up together. I thought that was a possible conclusion, but they, you know, they didn't go that route to their credit. So there was, there was that, but that's definitely true um, that that dynamic is so rarely seen on TV. And, and, you know, it's something that it, it, it not only is it rarely seen on TV, but it often sinks a show when they do end up breaking that tension um, or, or doing sort of the obvious. Um, A lot of people refer to the big moment where the X-Files went sort of awry was the moment where Mulder and Scully finally end up together and the relationship between them seems soured in some way. Um, a lot of people refer to sexual tension in the first few seasons uh, between them, but fine. Sexual tension is one thing. The actual relationship between them ends up becoming, you know, changing the story and the dynamic and the relationship radically. Uh, so um, in that case, there's a good case of, where you have one show with one set of characters and, and these writers and, and everybody is pretty much the same. And what changes is the fact that you put two characters together. So if they can do it here and really sell the, um, the platonic, uh, angle, I think that could be really interesting. Uh, I agree. Choice. Are there any actors you're thinking about? Any actors I'm thinking about, you know, I really don't know. Um, I'm looking forward to them sort of changing things up. I think that it's a huge deal that, uh, Matthew McConaughey just won an Oscar. Uh, And of course, Woody Harrelson is a fantastic and very high, you know, big budget sort of actor and that they have only these, these short seasons. I think they could really pull in somebody big if they, if they want to go for it. Um, So I'm anxious to see who they choose. Yeah, uh, me me too. And I, um, yeah, obviously like if I, there are actors who just, if I had 
if I was allowed to choose, you know, <laughs> yeah, I would, I would love to see what was the, what was the two I said? Um, I said Jessica Chastain and, yeah. and Michelle Fairley, who was on Game of Thrones. Uh, she's Catelyn Stark. Oh, I would love to see those two. I think they're both fantastic actors. Um, and they can play that sort of, um, that kind of steely reserved, uh, attitude but also have a, a, lot, a lot of emotional depth to them absolutely um, I think and I'm, that, I mean, I'd like to see whatever is the next thing either of them do but I also would like to see them interact yeah no that's an interesting pairing um, I understand both of the choices I've just never thought of them together but I think they could definitely do it um, I don't know if she can do a, uh, was it Michelle Fairley yeah. I don't know if she can do a, an American accent uh, or not <laughs> that's but, true but we'll see and, and honestly since there's no real connectivity, you could do it anywhere. You know, you could do it in another country. You could do it here in a completely different part of the country, um, you know, in the Northeast or wherever. So um, I guess there's, it's sort of up in the air. Although what did, we heard a little bit about the potential plot for the next season, right, or the premise. That's right. He teased it a little. I think the quote he said was that it was about uh, hard women, bad men, and, like, the United States railroad system or something. Oh, yeah, that was public, yeah, it was like public thing. transportation. Or, or... Yeah, yeah, something like that. So, obviously, it's, you know, it's, there's, he's probably teasing because he knows what's actually going to happen. Right. But, yeah, I, I think, first of all, I think it's very telling that he talked, that he mentioned uh, women first, mm-hmm. I think. And hard <laughs> women. And if you go by the hard-boiled definition, like, uh, you know, Raymond Chandler sort of thing, detectives, yeah. they might be the... They might be yeah, I think, the front yeah, I think that more or less kind of confirms that that's he's he's doing at least one female detective next season, if not two. Right. Or or you know, he might not even do the two detective format. That's something uh, maybe not pe- people are considering because this is um, when you have an anthology series, you can and it's done and there's like ten seasons of it. You can look back and see kind of this is the bare bones idea that they were going for each season and they just layered new stuff on top of it every year. We don't really know what he's going to keep from this season. Right, you know? that's true. Like, the barest that we can absolutely get is that it has to be about detectives. Right. And we kind of assume, I think, that there's going to be two of them and that it's going to be about that, that dynamic. But because he's only done one season, he's not beholden to any of that. He can kind of do anything he wants and whatever he can draw whatever structural connection he wants maybe it's just the flashback structure you know it's maybe possible. that's what he keeps it so is although it might feel a little bit um contrived if they go that's that true way, yeah you know. there are only so many ways you can do that kind of thing right right but yeah so it'll i think that's what i'm really looking forward to with the next season is seeing what because we you know i was talking earlier on about how we didn't know what this season of true detective would be until the last episode right. i don't think we'll really know what true detective as a whole, will be until we see the next season. Right. And we sort of see trends and themes and tone and things like yeah. that. Um, actually, if there's a f- focus on the public transportation system, this is complete conjecture. Mm-hmm. Um, but my guess would be the most well-known public transportation system, I think, in the U.S. is probably New York, you know, the subway system there. So... Um, mm. So I'm not saying, you know, I'm not saying there's going to be a whole show about the subway, but, you know, you get those creepy dark tunnels, you can do all the creepy things that this show seems to like to do, you know, assuming they still go that route. So um, I could see that. I could see that being sort of the, the, the setting. Uh, you know, those places can get creepy on their own without any sort of direction or, or writing. So I think that that's, that's definitely a possibility. Um, but it'll be interesting to see where they set it and, and who they choose. 
I think if there's one thing we can guarantee is that, like uh, Pizzolatto said, it's we're going to get a lot more uh, weird. It's He's going to, I think, hopefully, stick with the supernatural stuff. If not, make it literal, because I don't necessarily want him to do that, given what we got in the first season. But definitely that overtone that we got in the earlier episodes of, of this season, I I expect it to be uh, more more in the more at the forefront of our attention, and more and definitely more consistently sprinkled throughout. I absolutely agree with that, and I think that one thing that could be interesting as well on that note is um, you know one of the big things that uh, Legend of Korra did for Avatar: The Last Airbender. Um, was sort of explain this Deus Ex Machina ending um, of the first series by way into the second season of the following series, um, and what they did is they sort of explained away this um, this this Deus Ex Machina um, uh, conceit, and I think that that's something they could do here. You know, if they bring in visions or they bring in something that's like what Russ saw, they could give new meaning to it retroactively. Um, that's true in subsequent seasons without overtly saying it but you know if let's say they say something you know somebody here has visions and they do the thing i was talking about before where multiple people seem to see the same thing or there's some sort of affirmation of these visions or some deeper context you could retroactively apply that uh and say okay well maybe rust was tapping into the same collective consciousness or the same whatever i don't know um, so yeah. that could be interesting to see if it they would be interesting that. to see, like if that's one of the things they keep. Because I wouldn't, ne- I wouldn't necessarily see that coming. Or even if it's just something like that, but manifested in a different way. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes sense. Like instead of these kind of vivid, very symbolic hallucinations, if it was something similar to that, but not visual, maybe you know, maybe it's something a character hears, right, <laughs> right, right, something right. like that. Some sort of weird extrasensory sort of thing. Yeah, for sure. Who knows um, how it'll pan out. You know, that could be an interesting conceit, too, to have one of the characters maybe have a disability of some sort um, so that you don't have to involve drugs in it or any sort of thing, but you still could do that route, you know. So that's another possibility as well. Yeah. Um, well, cool. This is fun to, fun discussing this. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Um, so I think that uh, that about wraps it up. Yeah, that I think that uh, that does about wrap it up. Um, this has been Josh Rosenfield and Soren Howe talking about True Detective. All right, thank you so much. Uh, thank you.